I'm Catherine Zox, your social worker with a microphone, and you're listening to The Catherine Zox Show. Joining me today is author and psychologist Catherine Denhouder, Ph.D. Her new book is Resilience, a workbook, powering through adversity to find happiness. Some individuals seem positively unsinkable, no matter how tumultuous the circumstances, while others have difficulty weathering any storm at all. What is it that makes some people bounce back more readily in the face of life's challenges? Psychologist Catherine Denhouder addresses this question and offers valuable, actionable tools based on her background as an educator and as a mother of four. The result is a practical, easy-to-understand guide that puts the power of resilience in the palm of your hand. Dr. Denhouder is taught in preschool, elementary school, middle school, and high school. After 25 years in private practice, she's identified seven qualities of resilience that her successful clients have in common. Welcome to the show, Catherine. Nice to have you on this morning. Well, thank you, and I am. it's good to be here, and I'm looking forward to you know, presenting uh, information about resilience. Great. Well, resilience is the key to success, and uh, I, at least that's how I define it. And in this age of COVID, uh, some people are faring well and others are not. Maybe we should start with that because that really fits into this whole idea of resilience and why some people are able to power through adverse, adversity and others just can't seem to do it. Well, you know, when I, I had in my 25 years pra- of practice, I... Um, found that there were seven qualities of people who are who are truly resilient. And, you know, I would define uh, resilience in two different ways. One is where I use the image of a rubber band where there's elasticity, where a person is stretched to the max because of stress, and they, they eat right and they exercise and do mindfulness. All of that is very, very important, and they get back to a good shape. And that's the first definition of resilience, but there's also another one that I really emphasize in my book on resilience, a workbook, and that is looking at life in a transcendent way. And these seven qualities that I identified in my clients indicate uh, and substantiate all of those transilient qualities. Um, the the first one, I bet, if you uh, are enduring this COVID uh, in a in in a resilient fashion, that you have taken advantage of nature. Uh, so many of my friends, the ones that are walking, hiking, out in nature, are really refreshing themselves and becoming resilient individuals through this miserable time we're having. Another thing is, even though it's so dreary and um, depressing, the news about covid the ones that still have a sense of adventure, whether they discover a new art form or they uh, uh, improvise in their cooking or have new family games or different ways of communicating with family, they would be the ones that would be successfully uh, plotting through this uh, COVID-19. Also, people that I've talked to, the ones that have taken a pause and said, okay, what am I learning from this very difficult situation, and they realize that maybe there are things in their personality they need to work on. Maybe they need to be more thankful about the relationships they do have and think about how, when we are able to connect, what can we do to really reaffirm the love that we have for one another? 
Um, I want to just stop you. I want to, because you've made said a lot of different things. I want to comment on them, but I think one of the things when you're talking about resilience and I had to talk to another, uh, somebody on my show, I get interviewed a few weeks ago in order to be resilient, you need to also accept what is. It seems to me that people who are doing better, who are, uh, reflect some of the things that you just mentioned, are people who are able to say, okay, this is the way it is. The people who I hear talking about, we're going back to normal, we're going back to the way it was, the way it was before, which we're not, because you never do anyway, COVID or no COVID, get stuck, and they get depressed, and they get upset. So, like, you have to accept this, and then go on, and then practice all of those things that you just mentioned, which I think are, which I've tried to do. Yeah. So, uh, wishing that it was something other than what it is, is really, is a waste of time. You have to eyeball what is and just say, the, this is the, the terms of engagement right now, and I, I have to find a way to make my life work, given what I have. And that is, that's key. That's a premise, you know, for all of the other uh, uh, resilient qualities. You're right. Yeah. Terms of engagement. What are they? I like that. I like that expression. Okay. So, um, yeah, and, yeah. You, and I think this last one. That, that you... that, yeah, spatially, you're limited. You know, you're really confined to a certain space. Your uh, relationships are six feet apart. Um, you can use Zoom. You can use um, Skype, phone, uh, all of those you can use. But that's really, you know, what you, your limits are. Um, so recognizing that how you're going to be relating to people is going to be different. And once you accept that, then you, the creativity and um, uh, your sense of adventure can be uh, used in that limitation. So creativity and thinking of doing things in a new way, I really like that one. Like not get into like, oh, it's the drudgery, the sameness, it's Groundhog Day. Okay, we get that. But, you know, do something. And even taking stuff that you've, whether it's writing or whatever you do uh, creatively, do it in a different way and figure out how you can do it in a different way. I think that's that, that's an interesting thought. The other thing I wanted to ask you, I think it says that in your book, you also talk about famous personalities who apply these, uh, these seven um, ways in which we can be resilient. Um, can you match those up with when you're describing yes, the, you know, yeah, that the seven when ways? When I did more reading about who, who are the resilient people that we know Yeah. And are familiar with from the history books or just from people that are out there, uh, you know, performers, uh, people that are um, highlighted in our world. And I just found so many successful people have those qualities uh, that I talked about. I started talking about the first four. Um, Teddy Roosevelt, for instance, he lost his mother and his wife uh, within a short amount, in, in, in the period of months, and he was devastated. And what he did was go be- into nature. He bought a ranch out in South Dakota and just really became immersed in nature. Uh, and he was an asthmatic child. Uh, he learned how to climb mountains and just kind of push beyond the breaking point in many instances to become the strong person he was. So that's just one example. And I use others um, uh, Stevie Wonder was another one. Oh, my goodness, what an amazing story he has. Um, I also talked about Abraham Lincoln. He is the quintessence of being in uh, scarcity, having deep needs and wants, and he used creativity to overcome those obstacles. 
I also use Franklin Delano Roosevelt, his ability to connect with people so that he was able to rise to the highest office in the land. And then also a fellow... While he had polio, by the way. I I mean, I find that in a... I think I just read a book on the history of polio uh, and he being, you know, part of it in this book. But uh, here's a man who couldn't walk and yet he he becomes president of the United States. I I mean, talk about overcoming adversity and being resilient. That's a good example. Oh, amazing. And what he would do, it's so interesting because he, um, he used several people. He wanted to present to the American people like he was able to walk. So he would, his legs were like trunks, so he would move one and then the other, but he would use people to hold him up so that he would appear like he was walking on his own feet. And so he was able to connect with people that could help him do that. And that was, that earmarked his presidency. When you look at his successes, you see he was able to connect with the right people at the right time. Yeah, let's talk about that, connecting with the right people at the right time, because now it, it is a little more difficult connecting with the right people at the right time. As you said, yes, you can do it on Zoom. You can do it in, in, in different ways. But it does put that, – that's a challenge, I, I think, especially for people who are used to being out there, used to traveling, used to going to work, connecting with interesting people. You know, that's a ch- to me, that's a challenge in terms of how to stay connected to, to people who – you who buoy you up, you know, just as you do to them. So, yeah. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, you're right. I mean, we are limited in that respect. But there is so much teletherapy going on, and people do uh, successfully uh, obtain a therapist that's helpful for them. Um, Also, there is Viking, you know, has wonderful um, uh, journeys that you can see on video, um, so there's many different options here that are, are seem to be working. For instance, my writers group, we would meet in person at the Bureau Library. Now we, we do a, a Skype, and it's been a very productive group. So there are a lot of tools that we still have that will help us connect with helpful people. All right, so next, what we've done, what we've been talking about, I guess, three of these or uh, resilience qualities. What are some of the others? Well, you know, we mentioned the being able to connect with people. That when all the researchers that have done work on resilience for for children, for adults, that is one common ground. A person that is able to connect with helpful people at the right time is really key to being resilient. So that's probably a very that's probably the most important one. A creativity was another one. Abraham Lincoln is a clear example of that. He was able to find uh, ways to learn, uh, to pass the bar, to overcome obstacles, to uh, become president of the United States. Another one is very interesting, is being reflective. And the fellow that I use for this is Charles Wesley. He came from a very religious family. And uh, his whole family, uh, John Wesley, founded the Methodist movement was on to legalism or just behaving in a very Christian-like way. And he was in pain because he couldn't ever live up to that. So when he was able to reflect on that pain and realize that he had freedom, and once he was able to do that, he was able to go on and, and just be provide all kinds of music for the world. His joy came through, and he was able to, in his own way, uh, show his his belief systems. 
So the being reflective is really key for being successful uh, in your resilient life. And then the last one, and I, this is also important for today, is finding a mission. A purpose for living is so critical. And the person I used for that was St. Teresa, also known as Mother Teresa, uh, came from a very humble home, uh, but she provided uh, such an example for the world of how to care and love for people. And even though we're stuck at home, I know many people who make it a point to call one person every day to see how they're doing. You know, so the use of the telephone as a caregiving device is really important. Uh, writing letters, drawing yeah. pieces of art and sending them to people. Uh, all of those things um, uh, will be a mission that you have through this period of time. Well, being someone who's on the radio, I overdid it with the telephone, <laughs> especially in the beginning. I was calling everybody yes. and talking for way too long. I was exhausted because I had access. Everybody was home, so I could talk to them. You know, and in normal circumstances, you don't know, and even if you're text, whatever you're doing, people aren't as readily available as they were. So I had to kind of back off on that one. You know, moderation is yes. also somewhat important, yes, right? Uh, it is a key. Yeah, yeah, it sounds like, you know, you're a social worker with a mic. So yeah. you have a heart for people. And exactly. uh, so you want to make sure you they know that. And sometimes you just have to really take care of yourself, too. Yeah. And when you talk about uh, Catherine and you're Catherine with a K. So we spell our name exactly the same way. I don't know we, if you noticed that. Yes. Yeah. But anyway, uh, so part two of the book, you talk, take the awareness and the understanding of all of these, which we've been talking about, the resilient qualities, and put them into action. Um, relaxation. Let's, you, you mentioned cognitive behavioral therapy. Not everybody knows what that is. Um, how does that fit yes. into it? Yeah. Well, because I was a teacher for so long, it was just coming out uh, when I started my practice. And it just, it, it was like hand and glove fit. It was so perfect for me. Um, so I really emphasize that. And uh, it really ameliorates depression and anxiety and gives people a new way to look at how their mental life is. Uh, and I found that to be a very uh, helpful tool. Um, and I actually created my own acronym so that people can uh, work out a worksheet for themselves um, to see how their thinking is affecting their mood. Um, and then what I did is I had them take a checklist before we'd start the therapy and uh, for anxiety and depression, and then I would work the therapy, and then we would do the same checklist. And they were amazed at how just being uh, conscious of what they were saying to themselves how that affected their mood. Uh, So it was uh, definitely a very strong part of my, a major part of my therapy. Now, what about positive visualization? What's that? Tell, let's hear that. Yes, I I use that with with children a lot, um, but I also use that with adults where you visualize success. You decide what you want to be, where you want to go, and then, you talk about the steps to get there. And I would first put them into a state of relaxation so they were open to, you know, what I was saying and the visualizations that were uh, relevant for them. And they would, um, uh, we would walk through uh, these steps for success. And then at the end, we would talk about the feelings that we would have once we attained what our success was. Uh, for children who had school phobia, 
this was particularly helpful because I would have them come in in August before school started. We would talk about their school year, what they wanted to, how they wanted to grow through that school year, and we would visualize that and then go go through the steps and determine how we would feel at the end of the year. And there might be a need to be a, a refresher, so they might have run up against a stumbling block and they would come in and we would then create a way to problem solve that uh, stumbling block so they could move on. So Uh, you've had so much experience as a teacher, as an educator, as a therapist, psychologist, but also, as I mentioned, I think in the beginning, in the intro, as a mother of four. So let's get personal and tell us because a mother of four is a big, big job. I have, have three grown children, but so how does that, you know, as a mother of four, you have to be resilient. I mean, that's great practice for, you know, what's happening now. So tell us. Well, yeah. Little, you, yeah. <laughs> I, w- I went in with all the theories, you know, and, but I was also a Montessori directress. So I did have some of the practical information as well. But, yeah, you just have to eat your words a lot, you know, when you're yes, in you the do. world of theory. <laughs> and uh, so I had to just uh, problem solve again and be creative uh, in dealing with my children, uh, you know, when because they would stump you, uh, you know, every every time they would turn around, they'd have a surprise. So you had to use some uh, strategies that you'd have to change them so that it would be effective. Yes, and um, you really you had to be resilient. I mean, you're talking about four kids. It reminds me, I first time we left my uh, the three little boys, they were three, six, four, six, and eight or whatever, with a babysitter who was getting her PhD in developmental psychology, who said, "I know everything. I will handle it. They'll be in bed. They'll be fed. They'll." And we walked out the door, and I thought, she has no idea. We came back at twelve o'clock, and there they were. <laughs> <laughs> on the floor, and oh, she was on the couch. It, it is, it is, yeah, you have to have a sense of humor about this because you, do. Uh, you have to eat humble pie too. Because uh, you realize that you don't know everything. Yeah. That they can they can change and create a problem uh, you never thought existed. And so it's just very important to uh, you know process and enjoy your children. I look back at raising my children, and those ten years I had three and three years, and then I waited for years for my second one, but there were 10 years in there where we had built-in entertainment. We had so much fun just getting to know them as people and watching them grow and develop. I look back at those years as my 10 best years of my life. Well, in saying that, uh, if you think about the pandemic and people who are complaining because, yes, I'm home with my children all day and this is exhausting and this is a challenge and it's difficult, really should hear what you have to say because that's a short period of 10 years. Enjoy these kids when you're not having to run to work or run to wherever you usually are running to and dropping them off at school or or activities. Um, Take a look at it and and get the best. I mean, I think that's, that's really good advice, great advice, as a matter of fact. Yes. I usually start with a huge dose of compassion because I know it's very tiring, Um, but also being creative and and have a great sense of humor about your children and how creative they are and uh, enjoy who they are as people. That's really key because they'll take that self-acceptance into their adult life and uh, will enjoy themselves more uh, once if the parent also has enjoyed them. You've also written a novel, Abigail's Exchange. 
and has won a write in a writer's contest. You've been a semifinalist in the Royal Palm Literary Award. Uh, you are talented, <laughs> extremely talented. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah. So, you. what was uh, just uh, you know just briefly what was Abigail's exchange? Did this incorporate any of what we've been talking about today? Of course, every yeah. one of my characters will have resilient qualities, and she was she was intelligent. She was hit by some very difficult circumstances, but she uh, thought them through, came out on top. And so, yes, she was able to be, uh, look at herself, uh, be reflective, um, accept, you know, her lot, her lot, and then move on. So, yeah, all of my characters will be very resilient, uh, the main characters. And the antagonist is mental, mental illness. And I tend to go that way, too, rather than having a specific character being dark. I have that individual struggling with mental illness. And then that becomes, they become the, the mental illness becomes the antagonist. Uh, so that's what I've done in that book. Yeah. And uh, so that protagonist, pardon? No, go ahead. She's the protagonist. Yeah. Yeah, she's a protagonist. And then her first husband, Avery, is the antagonist, but it's really his mental illness that brings the chaos in the relationship. Now, it's you say that uh, the maxim, good stories heal. Good stories heal. What does that mean? I am such a believer in catharsis. And you know, children too, when they start getting into plots, it takes them a while, probably about four or five years of age, you can see them really getting into plots and becoming part of one or the other character. And they cleanse when they hear the character that they identify with, um, you know, rise up uh, and achieve what they want to. Uh, it is a cleansing is, you know, a sad story. Parts of the story can cleanse where they're thinking about maybe what they experienced and they cry and weep and uh, are able to clean themselves out and move on. It's a catharsis. And that's so, a, a literary technique that you see in plays and in books that heal. Well, wouldn't that be something that's really important now in the pandemic with your kids and their home and reading to them? If it and do it, and if it's th- this process that you're talking about, that they can have a cathartic experience. Uh, so, uh, reading and not just having them, let's say, online, obviously, and on their computers or um, iPads reading to them would be key. Oh, yeah. There's a con- people, there's a connection. Uh, you're traveling through the same book if you're holding your child and reading it to them. And, you know, I found myself going through a catharsis with one of the characters at one time and where I was healing. And then your child senses that release and, uh, you know, looks at the book in a different way. So that is really important for mental health to realize there are deep emotions that are hard emotions, but you can talk about them and get to the other side and feel okay. And uh, so that's what, that's what it can do when you have a story that heals. Have you been doing any teletherapy on, online? You know, I am retired at this point. And uh, I uh, tried to do that before I retired, and they weren't allowing that in Michigan where I was practicing, but they are now. They are now doing that, and I think every state has those laws and policies in place. I'm so delighted 
because, you know, if you move to another part of the country, you know, if you can do teletherapy, you can follow your client wherever they are. Um, so that is something that has grown exponentially uh, with the COVID because, you know, we're, we're, we're realizing that it's, we can't do in-person therapy. So, so that teletherapy is a very good tool. Yeah, I think in social, this is before COVID, but now, of course, I think it's even more important. Uh, social workers were doing counseling or trying to do counseling online so that they could reach clients who were in rural areas who couldn't get to the social worker, either because they didn't have a car or finances or whatever it is. Um, and so that was, you know, bringing uh, the the social worker to them uh, via the online. So that, I'm sure that's also uh, multiplied o- over the uh, this year with with COVID. Oh, definitely. Uh, yeah. You know, the yeah. states have quickly put uh, policies in place and, uh, you know, payment structures and, uh, you know, they're using every tool they know to bring it out, bring it to people uh, that need it. And so that's that we have, been a real positive. Yeah. We have four minutes left. So what's your, I, I was going to say, what's your next step? But it seems to me like you've been doing everything. You talk about retired. It doesn't really seem like you're retired. You've gone on to focus on something different other than doing therapy. So um, what's yes. next? Well, I am writing a book right now called Regions of the Shadow, and it's about a young man who um, ends up in a prison system in Michigan. And uh, it, it goes into the, uh, what he experiences. And, you know, personally, I feel very strongly that we need to have prison reform. We need to uh, not put um, people who have drug infractions in with uh, hardened criminals. Uh, there needs to, we need to look at that. And so this individual um, suffers a lot because he was in the wrong place. And that's why I, it's a tale uh, about a man by the name of Clifford and uh, what he experienced. So, well, and I've done is- some research. I had a chance to tour part of the prison that I'm, uh, that is the setting and done a lot of reading and have clients that experienced that as well. Well, we'll look forward or I'll look forward to the next book and so give us a couple minutes left we have two, uh, a website we can go to for more information about your books and about yes. you and about the work you are doing okay um, yes the um, my website is katherinedenhouder.com and that's k-a-t-h-r-y-n d-e-n-h-o-u-t-e-r dot com and shows the books that I have for sale. You can buy them right on the website. And just a little bit about uh, the updates and where I'm doing uh, presentations and, and uh, presenting to book clubs. So uh, it's an informative website of my, my current career as an author. Great. So that's where we can get all the info. Looking forward to this next book. And um, thanks so much for being on the show. And Catherine Den. Howder, PhD, her new book, Resilience, a workbook, powering through adversity to find happiness, which is what we all need right now. Um, Absolutely. Thanks, yes. Yeah. Thanks so much for being on the show. You're very welcome. And keep doing what you're doing. It's a good stuff, I will. good show. <laughs> I'm Catherine Zox, your social worker with a microphone, and you've been listening to The Catherine Zox Show. 